Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Paula Price Show, where you can experience scripturally organic, culturally unmodified teaching, get answers to your questions, and receive powerful prayer from your host, Dr. Paula Price, author of the Prophet's Dictionary. Tune in now and get ready for an exciting time of encouragement and transformation. Welcome your host, Dr. Paula Price. Broadcast of the Paul Price Show. We're on quite the journey here, so go ahead and once you get your notification that we are going live, share, share, share. And then once you've shared, how about this? Share some more. There's so much going on in the world today, a lot of places that, and people, and agendas, and laws, and fights, and infighting, and battles within the church that you really do have to know your God. I would say if, if there was ever an era where we have to know our God and do great exploits, it's right now. We want to talk about the Daniel era, the Daniel prophet, the Daniel this, the Daniel that. But Daniel faced off with devils, you know, as a living. And he was ruling and he was reigning and he was sitting in a seat of authority not just in business, but in the spirit realm, because he was involved with an empire. Not just a city, not just a neighborhood, but an empire. Empires come with gods, they come with peoples, languages, currencies, all that kind of good stuff. Sunday, at the Congregation of the Mighty, Dr. Price taught an amazing message on discernment and the spirit of discernment and spiritual intelligence. And, and I tell you what, I took good notes on that subject. If you did not see Sunday service, I want you to go back. If you did see Sunday service, I want you to go back. If you were in Sunday service, I need you to go back. <laughs> hey, I was in the front row of Sunday service, and I am going back. And when she talked about, first of all, she kicked off differentiating between, well, really uh, pinpointing that the word of wisdom comes before word of knowledge. She addressed the manifestations of the Spirit that we have all labeled gifts of the Spirit. And when you study gifts and you study manifest, they are two entirely different things. I mean, hey, you can, we can just say right now, if somebody says, I am manifesting, <laughs> well, in the church, if somebody says they're manifesting, you know, it's time to cast out a few things. They're like, somebody's manifesting in the uh, deliverance terminology that's like, ooh, 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 or you say something that strikes somebody's nerve or hits them in the wrong spot and they start to manifest. Well, what does that mean? In that context, we're seeing what's really in there is coming out. It's showing up. There's a uh, man, man, the hand, manipulate, and manipulation in our minds only has one negative connotation, but truly, in a, just a pure sense of the word, it means to handle something to manifest it, to bring it forth, to come out. And when somebody is gifting, re-gifting, that's giving. They have a gift. I am giving you something versus somebody manifesting something. Two completely different things. So when she was talking about the manifestation of the Spirit, manifestation of the Spirit listed in Scripture, 1 Corinthians 12, 7, and she said that the word of wisdom comes before word of knowledge. And we typically talk word of knowledge, word of knowledge, word of knowledge, word of knowledge, where's the wisdom? I mean, come on, this explains so many things in the Word. The starting of spirits was really 
really the, the center of the message. And she talked about discernment and what that really means. And we have so put the label of taboo and, and you don't want to do these things on, on words like judge. We already know it's the hot button. Who are you to judge? Well, it depends on what we're talking about. I mean, we have something called reality TV, which is nothing but judging. Judging food, food competition. How many food competition shows are there? There are networks now just about food. Wondering why we have a food problem, a waste problem, a waste problem, a everything problem. Food. We have taken the shows down to kids being chefs. With what? Judges. Reality TV fashion shows, judges, singing shows, judges. In fact, now people break their necks and spend all kinds of money they don't have, taking out loans they will never pay back to stand in front of a panel of judges to tell the world, we have judged, they have talent, and you should pay for it. So we do believe in judging. We just believe in it recreationally. Oh, no, we believe in it professionally as well because those people are looking for those judges to put them on a contract to make them official, to have an institution backing them. So they understand you can't get institutional backing without judging. I mean, Simon was like, what? He was vilified when American Idol first came out. You're too harsh. You're too mean. You're too whatever. He said, I'm honest. This is the industry we're in. They did not want true judging. They wanted that soft, affirming, emotional stroking. He said, please, you do that here and send these people out there, they're going to be crushed. If you can't handle the panel telling you the truth about you, how are you going to make it in the industry? So judging, we have got to lift our religiously conditioned rejection of the idea that having to judge something is a negative condemnation. I made a judgment call today. I'm wearing this outfit. Why did I judge that this outfit was going to be the one? It did not need an iron. <laughs> Number one. What I wore yesterday, I put it on, and I was like, oh, no, this is totally wrinkled. Had to <laughs> iron it. I was like, I'm white. Why did I look at this last night and see the top was a wrinkled mess? Can't go out wrinkled. Today I made a judgment call. I am picking something. Actually, last night I made that judgment call. What does not need to be ironed? This shirt and these pants. I made a judgment on what shoes to wear. I was going to wear my pretty bling shoes. Lord said, going to rain today. You see, those were open toe. I have on my boots. I made a different call, a judgment call to obey God. And I have on my black boots to match my black outfit. And guess what? It was a monsoon by the time I got to the office. Thank you, Jesus. And my feet stay dry. Judgment call, okay? Change the hair. Judgment call. I bless God for it. Oh, so we have made judgments all the time that we say, I, what we'll call them is a decision. I've decided, because that's like a softer term for I made a judgment. And so she went in on discernment of spirit. And it means intelligence, ability to discriminate against two things. Oh, discrimination. Lord have mercy. My God. You can see how the church is in trouble right now. You can see how we as a people are in trouble right now. As saints, African-Americans, 
Because all the hot buttons, this is why they're saying that God is racist, that Christianity is racist. Because these things about judging and discriminating between things, see, that's what I'm talking about. Hold on. We have brought definitions down to one application. So when we hear discriminate, we think race. However, when you are choosing who comes to enter, who has a key to your house, you are very discriminatory. We have keys in our facility and in our buildings. There's a list. There's a discriminatory list of people who are authorized to have access. Discrimination. You need to have discrimination if you're going to have wisdom and when you make decisions. We do it every single day. There are people who only who say, I only buy and drive certain types of cars. Are you saying that you're discriminating against Ford and Chevy? Absolutely. I don't buy American cars. And on they go. Or I only buy American cars. I'm not buying those foreign cars. So you're discriminated based on ethnicity for your car. Absolutely. So you see how we have, we have situational belief systems, which is why, what, what do they say, situational ethics, situational righteousness. We have just situational Christianity at this point. This is why here we're, we are differentiating discriminated, differentiating between people that are Christians. Well, now, look, the list, okay, the longer Dr. Christ's teachers on the thing. So we went from, okay, we're Christians, then we're churching and Christians. And now we have the elect. <laughs> the very elect. Okay? To separate out because we lump everything together. We say if you wear the label, then it must be true. No, we know this is fashion. That's not true. Is that an authentic coach back? Is that a phone bag? Is that real? Are the, are the reds on the bottom of your shoe? Is that an imitation? Preacher, look at that. Or is that the, oh, I see the red. I was going to tell about when I see the blood. I see the red on the bottom of your shoe. <laughs> I see you, Apostle. Okay. See, so we can recognize the importance of labels when it comes to those types of things, watches and all of the aesthetics. So when it comes to the things of the Lord, all of a sudden now, that's the worst thing ever. She said detection is a high synonym for discern. When I was in prophets training, Dr. Price trained us that the prophet's mantle is a detecting mantle. And it is unacceptable to be a dull-minded prophet because the job is to detect, to investigate to look beyond, to go beyond the obvious, to go beyond the norm, to see what is going on. This is why we have, part of the reason why we have these mantles. If we stop at the obvious like everybody else, then what's the point? We've had to do this with investigations and other situations. Well, I was just going off of what they told me. But see, we've been in an office where when somebody tells you something, you there's that other layer of who you are, that mantle that begins to go off like a silent alarm. So you're sitting there at the table looking like nothing is wrong, and your silent mantle alarm is going off. Something is amiss in this conversation. Your discernment, that's your alarm system, is going off. And it might be silent. Sometimes it's loud. You just have an outburst. I don't care anymore. <laughs> like, what is going on? If God just switch you like a switch. Like, Lord, why do you always do that to me? <laughs> How could you do that 
evolved. And then sometimes it's that silent alarm. Dr. Price is, is the queen of silent alarms. She's sitting there, and somebody's talking. And it's, sometimes you know, sometimes you know just by experience, but other times you have no clue. And so she'll talk, and then she'll start asking questions. And then a different set of questions might come out. Okay, so when you say this, let's explore that. I want to go back and revisit. See, that's detection going off. We have to detect and get to. When in the, uh, back in the day uh, shows, the Paul Price show, when it was the, uh, taking the calls and just by phone, she would say, I'm interrogating the spirits out right now concerning your situation. I wrote that down one day. You can tell because I remember five years later. I said, interrogate the spirit. I'm asking you questions. Yes, I could just mill around and poke and prod or just reach in and pull it out of the spirit realm, but let's walk this thing out. Because a lot of times you need the other person to recognize how they got this. You might be able to see it in a moment, but they do not. And so that detection, that discernment is essential. She said discernment requires uh, a long view. You need a long view and an intense view. The church is infighting over sentimentality. <clears throat> as long as we're fighting over sentimentality, we are not exercising discernment. You are either sentimental or you are discerning. You are either highly emotional or you're a thinking person. One is going to rule over the other somewhere, sometime. If your emotions rule you, then you will always come back to thinking as a last resort after you have felt your way through it. If you're a thinking person first and dominantly, you will think your way through it, and then you might go back and see how you feel about what you thought about it which is why usually high-strung people tend to need anchored, sober-minded people as friends. Come down. Here. And then sometimes they'll pull us up. Okay, you can get excited now. You can get a little wound up. It's okay. But typically you need that because if your emotions drive you, and you'll know if you're an emotional person, people will tell you you're moody. You don't want to believe it. So we're having a bad day, we're having a sad day, we're having a quiet day. There's very little consistency in your temperament. So if you're that person who is like, oh, it's cloudy outside, I'm having a down day. Oh, it's bright outside, it's a great day. Oh, you got extra sleep. Yes, I'm so happy. Oh, I've been pressing for the last three weeks. I'm just, so the whole world has to see you oppressed every time they see you. And they have to hear about it in your conversation, how late you were up, how early you had to get, like, all that kind of stuff. And then you got the bags under your eyes. Boy, buy some cucumbers. Okay? Get some green tea bags. Do something on your break. Let's go. And that's how you know if you are really somebody who rides on your emotions or not. And if you are that person, I would say you are susceptible, for sure, to being duped by emotional campaigns. What we have going on, even in the church, how we got here was an emotional push. People shouldn't feel a certain way when they come into the house of the Lord. They should feel love. They should feel comforted. They should not feel judged. They should know that the Lord loves them. And when they walk into the lobby, I just want them to feel the love of God. You know what, when people come in our church, they're like, I feel the power of God. My Lord. I feel the presence. I know God. Don't tell us I know God is here by the strength of this man showing up. But when you're led by the feelings, it's very hard to maintain standards when you're emotional. 
I mean, it's probably almost impossible because your emotions are the rudder. Okay, this week we're going to get it. There are people over the years that we know the cycle. Okay, we just got two good weeks out of them, which means we're going to get one off. And then they're going to congratulate themselves for giving you two good weeks. <laughs> like, what the job requires every week to be a good week. Somebody, I was on, I was on your park, I was on time today. No, I'm not proud of you. That's the minimal requirement of this job. Minimal. That's, that's like any, any job, any volunteer position. Hey, I put myself together today. Okay. Great. Isn't that every day? And so she went and talked, and she said, can you discern between creator and creature prophecy? See, these are things in church when you want to say, I'm sorry, can you just stay right there for just a little while longer? She said, can you discern between creator prophecy versus doctrines of devils and seducing spirits? And we have said before, time and time again, a good seducing spirit is hard to detect because it is seducing. Seducing spirits are not billboard signs. Hey, I'm seducing you, I'm seducing you, I'm seducing you. Don't be fooled, I'm seducing you. No, this is why we need discernment. It's kind of like when you watch the shows and they have the poisons and they get the tasteless ones. They're in the drink. They don't taste like anything. Or they take on the flavor of whatever they have, or they're colorless, odorless, that sort of thing. That's when you need discernment. Somebody will say, hold on, wait a minute, let me take a look at this. Well, why? Everything is fine. Oh, no, no, no. Let me, let me do this. When you're, especially if you operate in security. When you operate in, in the security field, not operate in insecurity, in the security field, you have to, you are trained to see when things are off. When you hear that, it's off. When it looks a little sideways, why does that chair move? Why was that door cracked? It was closed before. This is why we're hard on our staff about security. Because it's all those little subtleties that leave openings and cracks for the enemy and the opposition to get in. And it's so subtle, if you're not paying attention or if you don't know what to pay attention to, you won't even see it. Why is so-and-so sitting there? Uh, I don't know. Who is that? Who is that? Who? Nobody knows who that is? And they're sitting all the way up front, right behind Dr. Pro- Wait a minute. Hold on. Who? Where is the people sitting behind? Who are the, what is happening? And so having that, the seducing spirits are smooth. They're subtle. They're slick. And you know what? It might be obvious to someone else, especially if they lived it, and it's not obvious to you. And then that's when you start fighting somebody. That's when you, listen, this is when you might be the most susceptible when somebody who, first of all, is historically right. Let's start with that. Reputation. Historically right is telling you something is not right with what you want to do. And then when you start hitting those default settings of deflection, well, that's just your opinion. You never want me to have fun anyway. Oh, that's right. I forgot that you're hot. But when you start going down that road, you need to question yourself. I would say Paul, because you might be playing in the hands of a seducing spirit. Especially, I'll use Dr. Price as an example. Why not? This is her show, right? Because she's going to be right about prophesying your house, right about prophesying your job, right about prophesying your health, reproduction, children, everything else. But that one thing, whatever that one thing is that you really want, if you don't get the answer you want, that's when you start the deflection, redirection, responses. When you start telling your friends, 
you start telling other people. This is what I'm talking about. Every time this comes up. And then all of a sudden, all that accuracy, and it could be like a long list of accuracy, is invalidated to you because this seducing spirit is taking you over. And she said the spirit of prophecy versus divination. Can you discern the spirit of prophecy versus divination? I'll tell you what. You have got to study. You have to know your word. You have to separate yourself from a lot of things. Allow God to clean you out before you can really operate consistently and effectively in these levels of discernment. Your guard always has to be up. You have to go through regular consecration. You have to go through regular spiritual detox and probably physical ones too. Because I tell you what, there are certain, when I get in these binges and when we go in these seasons of eating certain things, that messes with your chemical makeup. Even your ability to make the right decision is off. When I'm eating properly, I'm more disciplined in my whole life. I already know. Study habits, exercise habits. And just general other things, habits, routines, they fall in line. And I start feasting out on all of those wonderful feasts and foods of the flesh that just are good for you. It is hard to be disciplined anywhere. And you look up and I'm like, oh, I, I need to, hold on. What, and, and it's subtle, 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 and then it's a big problem. And so differentiating between that spirit of prophecy and divination. A lot of people are confused right now. And we've met and encountered them. We have advisements. We have new people in our ministry. And they're confused about conflicting prophecies in their past. And many times, it might take us two years to sort through and really identify who is prophecy and who is divination. A lot of people are going, well, how, how is I mean, I got this prophecy that said I was supposed to marry this person. And I got this prophecy that said I'm supposed to go overseas. And then I have this prophecy that said, okay. I mean, and there, is there a timeline? Did somebody say, because, hey, a lot of these things can happen in your whole life, time. 50, 60 years, 40 years. I've heard a lot of things in my life, and thank God I have a covering named Dr. Paul Bryce, who's naturally so strong, most people are afraid to prophesy to me anyway.
because there is so much confusion in your spirit. Too many prophecies fighting each other in you. And uprooting, again, that was divination. That was somebody's will for your life. That wasn't God. You have to pull it out, pull it out, pull it out, pull it out, clean you out, and set you up straight. So then we can move forward. She said, apostles tell you when the spirit is taking you out or bringing you in. If you don't trust your covering, then you shouldn't be there. You don't have to vilify people. Just be about be on your way. You don't have to build a campaign. We know some people who just politely remove themselves. Or we use an army to the mysteries, whatever. And you have others. If that's you, if you are under a covering that you cannot trust, why are you there? Coverings are not your parents. You kind of stuck with parents. But then when you get to a certain age, you actually have decisions to make as well. But if you can't, if you can't believe that the person over you is telling you when something is taking you out, then you have you have removed them as your cover. Now they might still be doing a very faithful job to you, but you are not doing a faithful job to them. This is a two-way obligation with a covering. Because coverings are not parents. We're in a household typically, now even though that's not how it was in my house, but typically you can be a messy child and your parents by law still have to be good parents. You can cuss them out, tell them where to go and how to get there, but by law there are certain things they must do in order to stay out of jail. Even though you deserve to be thrown in the street at 14 years old. You deserve to be kicked out at 16 because you think you know. You deserve to go to a grandma, cousin, somebody up the road, sleep in the backyard. You deserve it, but the law prevents that from happening. Here, in God under a covering, that's not the way it is. We, you have an obligation when you are under your covering, or and then now we have spiritual, the, the spiritual family tree. This is my spiritual second cousin once removed. Actually, this is my spiritual uncle's nephew. Wait, what? What? This is my, huh? Okay. So if you are a spiritual offspring, spiritual son, spiritual daughter of somebody that you call your spiritual mother or father, this is not like being a kid in a house with your parents where you can do what you want to do and they are still obligated to do everything they're supposed to do. And you have no reciprocity expectation. Here in adulthood, in God, you do. So it's not just about blaming the covering all the time and not the people who are being covered. This is how we got church hurt. It's all the leaders, all the stuff. We blame, always blame parents, always blame parents. And then you get inside of the house and you realize you are what kind of teenager? How many of us grew up? Fortunately, at least I did not have this moment in my adulthood. When you grow up and you find out from other relatives that they thought you were a very miserable child in your family. Oh, yeah, you were difficult. You were difficult for your parents, though. You were a difficult teenager. Yeah, we do. Yeah, you, nothing they did could make you happy. And you find out your reputation in the family isn't that great after all. But in your mind, your argument was how hard your parents were, how unjust they were, how they favored another sibling. But even other people could see... You know, once you got an idea in your head, you just didn't want to change. So we grow up, and here we are in these adult, mature, kingdom relationships. And we think that as spiritual offspring, we can still do what we want to do, and spiritual mommy and daddy are obligated to chase us down, do all the heavy lifting, bring us back into the house, 
for you to stop and take initiative in fixing something that they didn't break. What did I learn as an adult when I moved to Tulsa and stayed here? Family moved on without me. Well, you just decided to stay in Oklahoma, so you're building your life in Oklahoma, and we're moving on here in the East Coast. You reach back into us, great. You don't, life goes on. That's adulthood. Childhood, as kids, somebody is always chasing you. Adults, people don't chase you as much. Because when you go, come over here, okay, make sure you're okay, make sure you're this, make sure you're that. And then, then they say, well, you're grown now. <laughs> and the, the parents who know they've done their job, bye. See you in the holidays. Don't you want me to come back this weekend? Not really. Make friends at school. Do your laundry in the laundromat, not my basement. Well, if you're in the East Coast basement. No, they're in Tulsa, they're in basement too. No, 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 uh-uh. Go on out there. You're grown now. Mama, you think you don't love me? I do love you. I just need your room for something else now. <laughs> and they send you off, and then you find out it takes work as an adult to make something work. And in our relationship as the spiritual dynamics that we have in the kingdom, you find out if you're under a good mentor, you have to earn it. They have to earn it. You have to earn it. This is two-way street of staying faithful. And we've heard it. My goodness, we have heard it. Don't you so so that? No, no. Mm-mm. We're adults now. We're adults. Please. I'm 41 years old. Please. The rules of childhood have, and the allowances of childhood have long since been over. And in the spirit realm, at some point, we have to come to a place of maturity where we stop fluctuating between when we want to be the spiritual kid and when we want to be the adults in the relationship. Well, I want to be a kid when I want to have my way, and then I want to be an adult when I want you to take me seriously and promote me out in the public and in the big bad world. Then I'm going to act like a kid again when I want to do this thing over here, but then I want you to treat me with respect when I want to be recognized for my title. I'm a prophet. I'm an apostle. I'm an intercessor. I'm an evangelist. You're not going to treat me that way. But then out over here, all these other ways, we're asking my teenagers. Lessons I learned. All right? I'm talking about me right now. Lessons I learned along the way. If it feels like I'm talking about you, then just own it and learn from it. Okay? <laughs> there are no subliminal messages here. I'm, not talking about, I'm talking about me and the lessons that I learned with God in this journey to, through, and in apostleship. You need to stay on one side of the adult line. You want to be a kid, a teenager, a youth, an adolescent, then you stay right there. And if, but if you want to be taken seriously as an adult, as a minister, someone with a title, or somebody who hopes to have a title one day, you have to stay on that side of maturity, that side of integrity, that side of responsibility. We've seen it. We've done it. Oh, until you feel disrespected in your office. Because we don't notice that people are always watching you as a leader. Always. If you sit on the front row, second row of anything, somebody is always, always watching you. I saw you I saw you in Walmart the other week. I just didn't say anything. You did? This is why you have to act right. I saw you in a restaurant with a friend of yours the other weekend. I didn't bother you, but I was watching. I was watching you speak. Okay, see? Somebody is always watching you when you're a leader. And if you're coming into leadership, you have to be okay with that. Resenting being on the spot is going to make for a very bitter journey as a leader. 
Everybody has an opinion, and you know because you have an opinion. My goodness, we can sit there and run it down on social media. Oh, you, can you believe they vote? Okay, wearing. It's always what are they wearing? And what are they saying? We've had a whole conversation about somebody talking about typos in your prophecy. Just put a word out there. Can you please proofread it? Can you please proofread it before you post if you want to be taken there? So we all, and now we have platforms that validate people sounding off whatever is on the top of their brain. Whether it's been thought through or not, usually isn't. So when you're a leader and you're out front, you have to know. People have opinions about your hair, your makeup, your clothes, your shoes, your jewelry, all the way down to your revelation, your message, if you should even be in office or not. I, I would have preferred that you said that differently. And on and on and on it goes. And that comes with a job. I was mentoring one of our AITs yesterday, and I said, you know what? Your favorite phrase is going to have to become, that's the job. Oh, but it's just so much. I thought it, that's the job. That's the job at this level. You know, it might not be the job for someone else, but that's the job at this seat. She said, your thoughts have a frequency that radiates in, excuse me, that radiates from and in your body. That frequency piece. I know there's about to be a whole revelation rolling out on frequency. I can, I can feel the frequency of the frequency revelation. It's about to be like, that explains everything. You know that revelation you get when you hear something she says, you're like, that explains so many things I've questioned the last 10 years of my life right there. The frequency of your emotions. What are you radiating through your body? That's why happy, joyful, happy people tend to be healthy people. Immune system is strong. Other things are strong, mind is strong, bounce back is strong, and people who are in flux with their emotions can often be in flux with their health. If you're nursing dissatisfaction, that shows up somewhere. If you're nursing anger, that shows up somewhere. If you are uh, uh, holding on to unforgiveness, that shows up in different places. You can study these things out. And scripture said it first. The word of God, you know why? Because he is the architect. He is the creator. And the creator knows how he made his creation. And creation and everything under it. He knows how he made us. He knows. No, you, if you hold on to that too long, it's going to take you out. A merry heart. It's good like medicine. And it surely is. Because when your heart is merry, even when your body is fighting you, like, okay, I'm good. Pastor Paul, I think myself happy. You have to think yourself right into happiness. Yes, there are days we get up, especially back in the day, Lord, where we like, today is going to be a good day. Because this is the day that the Lord has made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. And not just say it because, well, this is the day that the Lord has made, and I will rejoice. How are you doing? I'm rejoicing. Oh, no, you're, oh, let's try this again. <laughs> okay, let's try this again. You're not rejoicing. You're bemoaning. Saying all the right things out of your mouth because we are well-trained conditioned saints. Blessed are the Lord and highly favored. Blessed are the Lord and highly favored. Blessed are the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> 
and hi, the Lord, the Lord is good. The Lord is faithful. But look, is he faithful to you? Are you having a problem? At least that's what I'm trying to tell myself. Every day. I mean, the Lord is faithful. God is God. God is good. And let me tell you something. One of the things, and you're right, you know, I'm in the frequency pool now. Yeah. I'm in it. Yeah. I'm all in the frequency pool. I feel a revelation well, coming in. And I know that over the next couple of weeks, probably next week, especially in our global apocalyptic prayer yeah. project, we're going to go into frequency like never before. And find it in Scripture. Yeah. You know? But the one thing that I, that you were talking about that I really got, excuse me. I'm saying, mm-hmm. you know. Are you talking about the mic? A little prompt. Well, we we're you know we're enhancing the sound quality. Look, saying we're enhancing the sound. We're enhancing the sound quality. And that new toys. I like mine. Yeah. I can go. See the bell is even good amplified. <laughs> you know, one of the things that makes you because she was talking about a mentee. One of the things that make you a quality mentee is you have ears to hear and not a mouth to, to uh, contradict or explain. Wow. Poor mentees always, always waiting to jump in with an explanation, jump in with a contradiction. No, you're not reading me right. No, that's secular. You can't pick and choose when I'm reading you correctly. You don't know. You don't know what I read before I talked to you. You don't know what I just did, you know? And so I think the one thing that determines the mentee, at least in my eyes, is what Jesus said, is to hear. Yeah. When the voice of your mentee, as she pointed out, starts getting on your nerves, or when your responses to your mentor begins to begin to get on your nerves, you are ready to leave. I've made up my mind, considering a recent ordeal that I've just lived through, I've made up my mind, when they get difficult, I'm done. I'm, I'm, y'all understand, I'm, I'm pushing seven. I've had this since 1985. You know, people don't even give you credit for wisdom, for experience. Like the church doesn't give you credit for experience. They have so been taught by Satan to disparage and diminish and to marginalize everything Christ that the the very acclaim they give others, Mm -hmm. they don't want to give you. The very acclaim. Did anybody hear acclaim? So you don't get, you can't say that you have any fame. You can't say that you've done this or that. All of that, all of that is saved for the world. And then, or either we overclaim. Somebody said, well, I've been in ministry 45 years. What did you produce? Is there 45 years worth of something that we can go to? Can we go to this and go to that? So we, my prayer is that the body of Christ grows up to become mature children. I have a statement when people come to me with a mother saying, because, you know, psychology loves you to beat the parents. And that carries over to church hurt. You beat the parents, you beat the pastor. Because you're just a, 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 a rebellious, abusive kid. Because people are self-willed. Babies are self-willed. I have one daughter, man. I just absolutely love this girl. Self-willed is the day is long. She's over. Nine months old, self-willed. promise you, nine months old. You How do you even have a will? But self-willed. Two years old, I am going to do it. Now, all of that is future uh, resource for a destiny that is demanding, but it needs to be tempered and managed. Well, a lot of mentees are like that. Listen, I I don't really need a mentor, but they tell me that i got to do it or I can't get indoors without it and all of that. Those kinds of things, 
will cause you to disrespect and to miss. God said, what did Jesus say? He said, well, why are y'all seeking to kill me? Is it because you can't understand what I'm saying? Because you don't have the ears to hear what I'm saying? Why are you seeking to change me? And you've got a disciple. I heard a pastor teach one, a major minister teach one, that, that when the scripture says a disciple is not above his teacher, it's wrong. Because, I mean, I pray for all my sons and daughters to outdo me. Outdo and ascend above, not the same thing. See, we don't even know what word means. So, yes, today, I mean, what are we talking about in the whole uh, uh, George Floyd thing? Well, George Floyd has made a greater impact than Martin Luther King. Are you kidding me? A dead criminal? Because, because what are we going? We're going by numbers and digits, not effects. Because he did not affect the world the way Martin Luther King did and still does. He does not have the effect or effect on the world. He didn't. What he has is a, a media pumped pathology. He's very pathogenic. So the sickness and souls are responding to the narrative that is scripted for the, his demise, however unfortunate it may be. But see, we're always looking to say that the, the bigger numbers make a better product. That's why we have all these, have all these huge churches. Oh, how many members you got? Now, how, what's the quality of your members? John, the apostle, talked about the quality, the quality of the elect ladies' children. We don't teach that. John 2, you know, that one y'all just, we all skip over. The elect lady and her children and her sister in Babylon. Okay? But he talked about the quality. And her mantle was so effective. This all, y'all probably never read that, did you? Because, you know, we don't read anything about women and, and leadership that we've been told they shouldn't be. So I loved it when I had my first discussion about this with a uh, pastor. And, you know, my, my daughter, the daughter I mentioned, she is her mother's child. I know that I did, I've neglected to make that statement, but she is her mother's child. Because when I decide I'm doing something, I'm doing it. I didn't care. My mother told me that when I was a kid, and, you know, before she, she died, she said, you know, but you've always been adventurous to me. If you made up your mind, you're going to do something. You're going to do it no matter how many punishments, licking, it's nothing. I'm going to tell you, my, my mother told me I'm going to get a beat, and I took some after. I ain't gonna feel the pain. Yes, I did, because I said I'm gonna do this. Matter of fact, I used to, I didn't even take after I used to get hot. So this I, I didn't feel anything. I didn't care. I wanted to do this, this is what I thought I was supposed to do. And you know, again, that's resources for future equipment and uh function. But this is what I want you to read. John the Apostle. Now John has the gospel of John. He has three epistles, so we got four, and then he has the revelation. You think Jesus thought a lot of them? Because next to Paul, he is number two. And Paul is larger because Paul was sent to the Gentiles, so more Gentiles. So, but John, but the, Jesus' heartfelt feelings are powerful. So this is Second John, because we don't like to read this too much. Um, we don't even like to be third job. We're talking about the egotistical pastors, but I won't go there today. <laughs> All right? Chapter 1, the elder to the elect lady. 
whole argument in the whole Bible, the truth. And so he says, for the truth's sake, um, which dwelleth in us, for that truth dwells in us. You want to hear people, when people start talking about women shouldn't be in ministry, that's because that truth is not dwelling in them. They have edited and redacted the Holy Ghost truth in them. So we are, that, that ideology, that doctrine, that theology, that's a, a redacted truth. And it says, but grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. We always want to talk about God as love. We don't want to talk about God being truth. Because truth and love go together, so we end up with true love. And Love's truth. Verse 4, I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth. Now, I'm really, really going to kick down to this. I don't know about you. This apostle is saying of this woman, he recognized her work the way Antioch recognized the Christian. And he recognized her work as the very truth that he bore witness to when it was incarnated on the planet. Y'all still So, you know, when they tried to give me that, now, I went and I sat down with some preachers, and I was young. I was nothing like I am today. Because today, don't even, no. Don't. Just keep that little piece to yourself. Because that, I beat that argument to death. So he said, I found, I love it. I just want to tell my, y'all give me a minute. I'm going to find this stuff. I'm going to read this, this translation that I absolutely love. There are two that I love. Because you have to recognize when you start talking this kind of stuff, most women don't even know that this is in the scripture. Not, not all of them, but most of them don't know that this is in the scripture. So this is the Bible in basic English, and then I'm going to read what I call the CEV, which is the contemporary English version. I want you to hear this. Second John 1, 1, I, a ruler in the church, send word to the noble sister who is of God's selection and her children for whom I have true love, and not only I, but all those who have knowledge of what is true. Because of this true knowledge, which is in us and will be with us forever, may grace, mercy, and peace be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in all true love. It gives me great joy to see some of your children walking in the true way, even as we were ordered to do so by the Father. And now, my sister... And, now, and it's really interesting because we're in my verse 5. Verse 5. Now, he, see, this is what men do to us. They downgrade our dignity. You see how this is a downgraded dignity? Now, he didn't say sister. He said lady because if you looked up lady in that era and what it meant, it was a woman in a seat of position and power. And so they do that, sister. It's, and I, it, it cracks me up because now, you know, when the, um, what it does, now, when I get the bishops and the, the apostles, they call me sister, I call them brother. Oh, we're going colloquial? We're going commie? 
Tell me, casual, we doing casual, informal, I can go there with you. Why? Because there are subtle ways they downgrade your dignity. The world does it to the church. It has subtle ways that it diminishes and downgrades its dignity. And dignity is not just great speech. Y'all need to look that up. So, but anyhow, Bible and basic details. So he says, sister, that, trust me, when they tell you that, they have a problem with you being a woman in ministry. A problem scripture didn't have. For all of this talk, all of this talk about God never called a woman, what is he talking to? So anyway, moving on, Bible and basic, basic English, in case you know. I make a request of you, not sending you a new law, but the law which we had from the first, that we have love for one another. And love is keeping his laws. What? For whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. This is the law which was given to you from the first, that you might keep it. Because a number of false teachers have gone out into the world who do not give witness that Jesus came in the flesh. Do you notice that the apostle John is the one apostle that kept talking about that? Why? Because he is the apostle. What did they say in John 13? Jesus, John was the apostle that Jesus loved. John sat next to Jesus everywhere. They said when they were having his last day, they talked about John just leaning on his chest. This is my friend. This is my... And Jesus, obviously, they asked him to ask John, what, is, what does Jesus mean about he who dipped his hands with me? I mean, what does that mean? They asked John to get the information from Jesus. Clearly, Jesus has uh, had a pattern or habit of revealing himself to John in ways he never revealed himself to anyone else. Because they felt that anything they couldn't get out of Jesus, John could get it. And we see that pattern going all the way to the apocalypse. Jesus showed up to John and said, I'm telling you what's going to happen because I've always told you. So he's saying that because a number of false teachers have gone out into the world who do not give witness that Jesus came in the flesh. Do you realize all these religions that say that they are Christian this and I'm Christian Wiccan and I'm Christian Muslim and I'm Christian Buddha? Those are religions that still say Jesus never came in the flesh. Those are B.C. imitants, because that's all they are, they're imitators. They are B.C. imitants that are trying to do away with the power of the cross and the power of salvation and the Holy Ghost. It's the Holy Ghost who will tell you where Jesus is. And the only classes we really want to give you on the Holy Ghost is the fruit of the Spirit and the manifestation of the Spirit, the falsely called the gifts of the Spirit, etc. So he said, such a one is a false teacher and antichrist. We're looking for a single, consummate antichrist, but he's telling us these antichrist fragments and specimens are running throughout the church. So did Jesus come in the flesh as God? Did Jesus have a precarnate existence that he brought to earth? See what they said. Yeah, well, I know, but I, you know, the Bible says, when they get the stumbling, that's an antichrist spirit. You're waiting for the Antichrist who's going to give you the mark of the beast. That's a long way down the line. But they are making their mark on you and on the body of Christ consistently all the time. And so he's telling her, keep watch over yourself.
well so that you do not make our work of no effect, that you may get your full reward. Anyone who goes on and does not keep the teachings of Christ has not God, does not have God. You see all of this false teaching out here in the pulpit, all of this anti-Jesus, not Jesus, there's the song that it's him, they don't even remember his name, but take the man's name out, it's him, and it's my love, and all of that, so they hope the secular world will pick it up, and they can always say it wasn't religious, it wasn't Christian. He who keeps the, the, the teaching has the Father and the Son. I, I love this. If anyone comes to you not having this teaching, do not take him into your house or give him words of love. We bless people who teach against Jesus Christ. And this is what we say. Well, I don't want to, I mean, who am I to judge? You, if you are in a position over people, you are to judge. Just like a parent is to judge who should and shouldn't handle his or her children, so should you. And so, or he who gives him words, listen to this. He, I love this, for he who gives him words of love has a part in his evil works. Does anybody know what that just said? I, I absolutely, absolutely love this. Now, we're going to go. Now, I have, I don't know, 37 versions on my computer. I'll read them all. I'll use them all. So I've looked at it, but I want to hear there's the simplified one. Okay? Simplified one, the uh, contemporary English verses from the church leader to a very special woman and her children. Again, diminishing. I truly love all of you, and so does everyone else who knows the truth. We love you because the truth is now in our hearts, and it will be there forever. I pray that God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son will be kind and merciful to us. May they give us peace and truth and love. I was very glad to learn that some of your children are obeying the truth as the Father told us to do. Dear friends, now I'm looking at this, dear friends. Here he says, maybe, because they, once you, when, you, when you found something on a lie, you have to make everything conform to the lie. And if you determine to keep the lie in place, which theology has largely done, then you cannot let anything, any other revelation that's meant to corroborate or meant to conform, conform or direct your thoughts to be taken seriously. So, in Ezekiel verse 5, I am not writing to tell you and your children to do something you have not done before. I am writing to tell you to love each other, which is the first thing you were told to do. Love means that we do what God tells us, and from the beginning, Oh, and he told you to love him, to love him, to love him. Many liars have gone out, not false teachers, but many liars. You see, see okay? Because this is everything. This is the people's version. So the people just don't have to worry about God's hierarchy. They don't have to worry about God's orders and rights. They don't have to worry about God's society. All they have to do is just glean the part that fits them, that makes them feel right with God. Many liars have gone out into the world. These deceitful liars are saying that Jesus Christ did not truth, uh, have a truly human body, but they are liars and the enemies of Christ. So be sure not to lose what we work for. If you do, you won't be given your full reward. Don't keep changing what you were taught about Christ. Boy, is that counsel for today. Mm-hmm. Don't keep changing what you were taught about. You realize a lot of people who started out with me have had like 13 doctrines. 
Whenever somebody came up and the numbers were big, they bought their doctor. When they came up and the, someone bigger than them came up, they bought their doctor. A lot of the giants today don't teach the doctrine of Christ. So you don't know it because they've so religionized it and spiritualized it, and they have so peppered the scripture with seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. You don't recognize what the fine line is. That is why you need discernment. I thought this was really cool. Don't keep changing what you were taught about Christ or else God will no longer be with you. But if you hold firmly to what you were taught, both the Father and the Son will be with you. If people don't agree to this teaching, don't welcome them into your home or even greet them. Greeting them is the same as partaking of their evil deeds. You can chew on that for a good while. So I have certain ones that that was, uh, I read the Bible and the English, and I read the contemporary English version. Um, so, and you can read all of those that you want. My, another one that I have grown to appreciate is the uh, HCSB, Holman Christian Standard Bible, and it says, the elder to the elect lady and her children, I love all of you in truth, not only I, but also those who have come to know you, because of the truth that remains in us and will be in us. And then he goes on to greet her, and he said, I was very glad to find some of your children walking in the truth and keeping a command we have received from the Father. So now I urge you, dear lady, not as one, not as if I were writing to you a new command, but, that, but the one we have heard from the beginning that we love. And this is love, that we walk according to his command. See, people keep saying they love God and they don't obey his command. He can't tell them to do anything they disagree with. He can't tell them to do anything that he, they dislike. He cannot tell them anything that contradicts their passions, their hearts, their dreams. He can't tell them. And so, and, and this is what Jesus says in his own gospel. Why call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? Why tell me you love me and you don't obey my commandments? Because God equates obedience to love. Obedience tests love, and love affirms obedience. You see how that works? So when God tells you things you don't like, then all of a sudden, you, you know, you are independent. And it makes, well, I don't know if that's God, because God knows your heart. It's because he knows your heart, and he's helping you find out what piece of it is for him. <laughs> I like this one. What it what it just said that's a knockout. That's a knockout. So he said, This is the command you have heard from the beginning. You must walk in love. Many deceivers have gone out into the world. They do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Listen to this. Watch yourself so you don't lose what we work for, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who does not remain in Christ's teachings but goes beyond it does not have God. You got all these young preachers coming up, and y'all so proud of them. They don't talk Jesus. They don't walk Jesus. One of them said, I wish Jesus wouldn't answer the phone. I want you to understand that person doesn't have God. Why are you still backing them? Why are you still sending people? Why are you showing up? Because you are considered by God, if you stay in those churches, and you stay under those leaders, you're considered by God to be a partaker of their evil deeds. God judges you as if you've done what they're doing. And he condemns you as if you've done what they're doing. Yeah, but you don't understand, we started this together. Uh, right, a lot of people started things together. 
houses all the time together. If one sets it on fire, the rest of the buildings don't stay there. You have all these young people who never read the Bible. Most of them have never known that God has this, this litmus test right here. This is a literal filter. If they do not remain, and it didn't say enter, it said remain. If they do not remain in Christ's teachings, teaching, but go beyond it, you know, like the hyper-grace, hyper-grace teaching, that's going beyond the gospel. See, and so we need to have sessions on what going beyond the teachings of Christ is. Because we don't know. We don't know because we've been taught, don't touch the man of God, don't put your mouth against the soul and so What God? I need to find out what God. I'm not going to protect the God that brought you up against Jesus. Why would I do that? Why would I do that? So, and then we have this one, but the one who remains in that teaching, this one has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, what teaching? The teaching John gave her. Because Jesus literally breathed it into John's mouth. Do not receive him into your home and don't say welcome to him. For the, for the one who says welcome to him shares in his evil works. So you can walk around and say, I don't understand why God's not listening to me. And you've got all these little books, the little witchcraft books on Christ. Okay, I got a whole thing of witches' creed for Christians and all of that. You know, I got that. Or the mixing up, you got the book on how to blend and fuse. You how do you blend and fuse somebody's literal DNA? You have to shatter it first. You cannot do it unless you break the seal on it. This word is a being. This Christianity is a person. It's a being. That's why Jesus Christ is here and not some scroll text. This is a being. But I want to go back to, I'll tell you, I just get, you know, I get excited about it. I cannot help myself. So the word elect lady, only certain Bibles will tell you, I think the Amplified Bible tells you, it has a word, has a name. And her name is Curia, K-U-R-I-A or Syria, um, whichever way you want to do it. A Christian woman to whom the second epistle of John is addressed, the end. A Christian woman? No. Lady. Now, when you look up lady, because I did, but we know elect. Elect we've talked about. All right? But when you look up lady, I really do appreciate that. And, um, and, and the Strongs, they call her Syria, C-Y-R-I-A. Why they change the name? Because Curia means female ruler. See, that word, curious, what do we call Jesus? Curious. So that means female ruler. So when, when people, you have to do your homework. You know me, that's my favorite hot button. I think when I, when I leave here, that's kind of the last word I say. So he's saying to the chosen female ruler, don't trust this man. Now, to show you, um, you could read, I must have about 50 commentaries, and most of them want to ignore that he calls her a ruler, not a mother. I've had people sit down and say to me, well, that's just a woman that uh, Apostle John was um, giving her counsel on her motherhood and her children. Where's the fatherhood? No. Her house was a church. 
That's why he said, don't receive those doctrines and doctrinaires in your house. Don't welcome them. Why? Because she's a woman, he is, and he's her apostle. I just, yes. He's her apostle. He founded her work. He helped her found the work. And he's telling her, by the authority vested in me, by the Lord Jesus Christ, I appoint you a ruler, a church ruler, or an ecclesial ruler. You now have a church in your house. Because you see, you can tell the, 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 the men who are most intimate with Jesus. Understand now, because there are a lot of people close to Jesus. You know, you can be close to someone and not intimately know them. But the one that's intimate with Jesus enough to be what He is in the earth, know that God makes no difference between His His species or the gender, except for marriage and reproduction, procreation. Otherwise, He doesn't have problems. Because remember, it's all Him. So to say that is to say God hates the softer side of him. Mm-hmm. He hates the softer side of himself. He's afraid. I asked the guy about that one, a question once, and, you know, I was young, so, you know, because, you know, these old bishops, they get really mean and cranky and crotchety when you're young and ask them questions. But they do. I have to fight that myself. You know, I have to say, hey, girl, back down. Come on back. Come on. Who's here, baby? You know what? You ain't got, you don't have it all together. So I asked him, so why is God afraid of women? I don't know, that's just this woman, this woman talk. And I was young at that time, because I want to ask him again today. Because we have millions and billions of dollars in books that belie this truth, that has come to the point that women are being judged. They got cancer in their body, their breasts are full of cancer. Why? Because that's the feminine side of God that you are, you're turning that into inwardly. Your uterus is gone. Why? See, because everything that happens in the spirit finds its way to the soul and chemicalizes itself in the body. I've watched men. Come on, stop. We're in my home. I'm sharing that. Yeah, I'm hitting that. Now, you know, I'm going there. I'm about to break it. Yeah. I've watched men who would rather their women die of cancer than obey God. I've watched husbands who would rather their women have nervous breakdowns than a release it to Jesus Christ as if their life is going to end well. My God. I've watched men. I've watched them make them not give them money, won't let them out of the house. And you know what? You want to blame the man. I don't. I don't. You made him your God, and that's what God did. That's what God did. Whomever you give yourself to obey. And the Bible says that if, I, if God commands you, God commands the force to supersede everything. Even your husband, your wife, your children. He said, he who does not hate mother, father, sister, brother, whatever, for my sake. He didn't say hate each other for hatred's sake. He said, for my sake. He said, you need to hate my adversary. And anything, spirit, that's making your relatives an adversary against me, you need to attack it. It sounds, you know, it, it is, but it's true anyhow. I've had, I, you know how many women I've had to, I ain't doing it, and y'all still got divorced. They still got other women, and they still left you. You know why? Because it was God keeping it together for his advantage. 
And when you cannot back God's advantage, I'm telling you, then you're going to put what you love to the test because God crushes idols. God crushes idols. So your family doesn't love you, can't get your kids off drugs, can't get your daughters out somebody's bed, can't stop having children without marriage, all of that. Why? Because that's the God that you chose to keep your life. And not every God can push back on the devil. A lot of them don't. So when you read this, see, this is important, because when you read this, it says, it actually says, to the elect ruler, which is what we saw in the contemporary England, uh, uh, not this one, the one special woman. What special woman? What made her special? That what made her special was John elevated her to rulership. And he did it because he said she got his message and she got it correctly and she bought into it enough to convert people to it. And every time you convert folks to Jesus Christ, he's going to make you a leader. I just wanted you to know. Now, and so, we, you know, when we go and read to that, now I'm going to read this last part. And he says, I have much more to tell you, but I don't want to write it with pen and ink. This woman is his mentee. Yes. Yes. She's more than his disciple. He's like, I'm making this work. He's making a statement that God calls women and uses women, and he doesn't just use them to fry chicken and change diapers. Say they go. This is John. You can't. You can argue with a lot. You know, you got people that say well, we don't know about Paul because, well, he's born out of season. Of course, yeah, but yeah, except two thirds of what you call Christianity in the New Testament is probably him. At least a good, you know. Yeah, I'm gonna say two thirds. But John was with Jesus every day. He's first partaker. He knows Jesus. He knows Jesus so well, and he treated Jesus so well that Jesus appeared to him to give him that end time word, the apocalypse that we have. So he says to him, I want you to hear this because this is really good. I want to come and talk to you in person because that will make us really happy. He enjoyed her presence. He enjoyed her company as one of his rulers, leaders. But I love this last part, John, 2 John one thirteen. And greetings from the children of your, what? Does anybody see what it says? Your elect sister. There's a sister church. She's sending people out. See, she's sending people out. I don't know if anybody got that. But if you did, post it on the Facebook. So he says, I don't know about you, but this is powerful stuff. He says, I rejoice greatly that I found. That means her, he can't, he's not near her, so her converts were making the rounds with the teaching that John gave her. And he was able to verify her authenticity because they were walking 
I love this. In truth. Now, he didn't just say they were walking in love, because that would have been emotional sentiment. He said they were walking in truth. Truth is the doctrine. Truth is Jesus Christ. Truth is the gospel. Truth is salvation. So this woman, in this apostle's mind, has mastered the doctrines of Christ. And not only mastered, not only preached and disciple, but converted people despite her gender. I said to somebody when they started to bring this up maybe a couple of years ago, you know, I told them, uh, uh, 60 was great for me. I just absolutely love being 60. Because 60, you forgot all idiocy. You either have been baptized into idiocy or you have been totally become impervious to it. I got it. Yeah. Well. I love 60. You don't love 60. That's how much I love it. I think I love it. 60 is a good thing. Isn't that, isn't that good possibility? Because you know what? You, you have lived through so much and you've gathered so much over their, the decades of your life, in your adult life, and you've had to feel all these things and, and really process them out personally. So by the time I got to be 60, I was like, don't. Just don't. Just don't. You know, it's kind of like the person who's asking, why don't I drink? Do, we really, do you really want us to go through this? I mean, do we really? Do you really want to do this? Or do you just want to enjoy your booze and I'm going to enjoy my water and we're going to have a good time communicating with each other? Because I don't care about that. And I feel that about now. I'm like, are you kidding me? I've been in this thing for a long time. And I have not. If one thing you don't, you can't escape as a woman in this ministry is some man that don't think you should be. A man that doesn't think you should be. You will run into them a lot. So you need to perfect that argument. You know, I need you to say that. Now, I've had people say that it was a mother, but I just read to you that he called her. He didn't call her. See, they, when they use Syria, they're trying to take, make it a name and not a title. I make it a title. So says the Holy Ghost. Because that's what he said. He put her in office. If you go to her, she is strong, 29.59, for those of you who want to do the research. and But if you go to 29.62, she is the feminine version of Curios, supreme in authority. That is controller by implication, Mr as a respectful title, God, Lord, Master, Sir. Now, I don't know who you all are, some of you women out there watching me right now. See, I'm not just a role model. I just want everybody to understand, I'm not just a role model. I'm an occupant of a particular rank of authority, hierarchy in the Lord Jesus Christ. And my job is to legitimize you obeying the Lord and to give you affirmation and confirmation that you're not crazy. Now, I'm not going to kid you. If you are married and you and your husband disagree on this, 
you are going to be in a contest, and the question has to be whether or not, you know, I'm like saying this stuff. The question becomes, who is your God? Because I'm going to tell you something. If God wants this and your spouse and your marriage is an obstacle, rest assured he will remove it. If he cannot change your spouse's mind, male or female, if he cannot change your spouse's mind, he will remove them out of his way. They're an impediment to him. We don't teach this, but Paul teaches it. The Bible teaches it all the time. Marriage is not above ministry because there was ministry before there was marriage. See, Adam had a ministry. The Lord put him in the garden to tend and keep it. He had no wife. His wife came after he had ministered everything God needed him to minister. And then the wife came. And as you can see how that turned out. Wow. God got his best out of Adam while he was single. <laughs> you know, I'm all happy today. Because when you teach the Adam and Eve story, you rarely hear that Adam was single a long time. And it was just God and Adam. Adam did not have any distractions. He didn't have anyone else to please. He didn't have anybody else that he had to answer to, attend to, agree with, or conform to. He did not. That is why this whole idea that we need to marry young people as soon as they're of marrying age, that's from Satan. He needs to spread his seed quickly. God likes mature fruit. If you notice, he has older people having children. Those are the ones he records. Very few young ones in destiny, for destiny purposes. Yeah. So you can say all day long, marriage is first. And I'm telling you that from the, the foundation of the world, the ministry's been first. Ooh. And anything from the foundation is prototypical and archetypical. Or archetypical. So you, we, see, we've been out the Bible so long, we've been making it up as we go along. And every generation makes it up. I've heard people say over and over again about God said, you know, um, not to put your, your, your marriage or family on the altar of ministry. That is an antichrist doctrine. Matthew 19 has Jesus saying it. If you're not ready to give up your wife for me or your marriage for me, he said, you're not worse than me. He said, because I'm going to call some of you all to do it because you shouldn't have married. You should have waited. Until you had the one that I chose. Moses marries Zephora. She drives him nuts. And eventually leaves him because of his ministry. God finishes like he did with Adam. He finished using Moses in every way he felt like he needed to. He did. And then he gives him this cute little Ethiopian thing. To keep him company. And he, so he get, God picks the wife he always has. A wife that entered into his success wow. and not his distress. Wow. Isaac had to build his kingdom first and then go get a wife. The wife got picked out. 
marrying poor in God, that is a commoner's act. That is not a ruler's act, not a leader's act. Marrying before you mature enough to keep, to do anything but exist and struggle in life, that's human. That's Satan. Satan puts people together, all poor, broke down, and everybody, no, it's not, because God told you to love me. So it's not anything for love. You fill in the other L. Because God has less work keeping a union together when both parties have grown in their internal self, their zoological self, have matured enough to handle life in a union. That's a hard thing. So when you decide to say marriage is over ministry, I want you to know that's an antichrist doctrine. That is a doctrine that guarantees you do not marry who Christ ordained for you. My God. I'm I'm telling you, it's a very different thing. Marrying young guarantees pretty much divorce or misery. You'll stay together for the sake of the marriage, even though you've outgrown each other, which is why when the kids are gone, the marriage goes with the kids. Empty mess brings divorce. Because you told the God of creation that you prefer this over what he had. And so, you know, I have people to say that, uh, you know, to me about it. You know, and to be honest with you, I've got to tell you, I know Jesus Christ. Man is tough. He's a tough guy. Because everything he has for you to do is genetic. It's anatomic. It's neurological. It's zoological because it starts in you as a being, in your faculties, in your endowments, in your gifts. These are all resources for a particular purpose or function. So when you, when you decide that you, you, I just want to use them while they're young, you can't not, you might want to fulfill God when the kids are grown, but you have expended all of his resources in another way. You don't have the same capacity. And not only do you fail to keep the same capacity, you don't have the same strength. You've given your vigor to something else. Now, if God called, because I've, I've done this. Now, people have said to me, yeah, but I just don't understand, because you, you left, I had, to, I had to either do God or die. Now, you hear people say, that's not God. I don't know. God was killing Moses in the end. He was killing Moses. Zipporah had to do the, the crudest circumcision ever for God to stop killing Moses because God said, I've already embodied you with this thing. You are embodied with this thing called, go get my people. But see, we don't do Bible any longer because Bible is hard on Satan. And it's hard on humanism. And it's hard on devil. So we don't do that any longer. But you don't have a gauge. You don't have a measurement. What you have is sentiment. Satan is sentiment. Yeah, but you know God doesn't want you to. Yeah, mm-mm. First of all, you you got a fact. You should have known whether or not your your spouse was going to hate your God in the future. You should have picked that up. That's what the Holy Ghost was there to tell you. Isn't that something? You should have known that. 
You should have known Nehemiah when it said that God did this enormous work. And then Nehemiah goes back to his job thinking the project is over, come back, and all of the priests are married to pagan women. Tearing God's worked out again. You should have known that. Let me tell you something. I love my family, etc. But if, if you have not had a dispensation deposited in your being, you don't know how relentless God is. Because God is relentless. He doesn't stop. You cannot turn him off. You cannot hide from him. You go to the bathroom. He's thrilled. He's got you sitting still. You go to lay down at night. He is tickled to see. He starts talking. You will do so-and-so for me. You will. I have already done it. I've set this up. I've done this. I've done that. You get in your car. You try to turn the music up louder. Don't worry about it. That still, small voice is louder than your car's loudest volume. Still, small voice. He's still on shouting. And you can't shut him off. You cannot. You go to work, and he is still talking. You sit down with your friends, and he is talking. You get, he makes you to the point you're afraid to go to sleep because he's going to give you dreams on top of dreams on top of dreams. Uh-uh. When the people say that they, that they have an option with God, they call. They're not chosen. The chosen are haunted. The Holy Ghost is a ghost that haunts, and he's going to haunt you. Baby, don't, uh, when people tell me that, oh, no, that ain't God. I'm like, oh, you know about it. You just called. That's what I God gave you an option. You got you to gotta offer, but we don't get an option. You don't opt out on the creator. He said to Pharaoh, for this cause I raised you up, that I may show my power in you. Jesus is love. Jesus is love. But Jesus loves God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost more than he loves anything they made. Jesus. See, I'm talking to somebody that I said, God is haunting you. And I mean, that man stalks you. I'm telling you, God haunted me for years. And then when I wouldn't do it, he shut my work down. He caused everybody to turn on me because when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to have peace with him. So I'm telling you, I don't listen to those people because those are out-of-court saints. They've never been in the Holy of Holies because when you get in the Holy of Holies, there's nobody there but you and Jesus. You have that mercy seat, and you don't have sense enough to say, Lord, have mercy. You want God to have mercy on you so you don't have to obey him. But that is not what mercy is about. Mercy is about obedience. It's about compliance. I said to God, he told me, you will keep, not literally, I'm telling God, God, that you know I got this. God opens up my book of life. And on my book of life, I'm telling you, there's just stuff, stuff, stuff. He said, now this is your future. And then he turns the page, he said, and this is what you have. If you don't do what I say, blank, blank, I got a blank page, two blank pages, which means, and he said to me, if you don't do what I called you to do, you have no reason to stay there, but have no other destiny or calling for you. I'm thinking, okay, so I got to weigh this thing out, right? I need to weigh this out. Okay, let me see. Hold on. Marriage and family. Marriage and family. Marriage. Jesus. 
be around for my kids. My I wanted to be around for my grandkids. I'm telling you, if you can still opt out, you were never called. You were never chosen. You were only called. Because let me tell you, when you are chosen, you 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 get a ministry to protect your household. You get a ministry to protect your family. You obey God, so He won't go after your loved ones. No, I got to do this, honey. I know you don't like mom being gone, but I'm gonna tell you something. Having me gone for six weeks and having me gone forever is two different kind of gone. I can call, I can send for you, you can come with me, you can travel with me. See, there are a lot of deaths that people say, it just doesn't make sense. It makes perfect sense to God. Blank page. Blank blank. So, and that doesn't mean you don't cry. That doesn't mean you don't hurt. That doesn't even mean that you don't have moments that you think, oh, what have I done? You weigh the weight of the sovereign of sovereigns. Humans can tell you a whole lot of stuff. God will forgive you. God never said he wouldn't forgive you. He just said, I'm not going to let you cause my word to be a lie. God watches over his word, and I'm not the only one. I bet you, out of all of the tens of thousands of people that I am have on these, I bet you a lot of you all who are in God's service today, and there are a lot of y'all who wanted to quit, and as you were on the way out, they found the tumor. As you were on the way out, they found uh, 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 that you had some uh, on the way out, because you would not go where God is, because your the, the normal course of life is just to God. It is right that your family tree suffer whatever maladies attached to being born of the flesh in this world. The office, the the mantle, the God, come on, somebody. That's where the protections are. Because God doesn't have a reason to supersede all of that if you aren't going to give him what he wants. Why in the world, well, I, I'm not going to fight with Satan over you. You're not giving me, what am I going to get out of the deal? We have never taught you that God wants something out of every deal. You don't believe me? Look at how many times he uses the word profit, P-R-O-F-I-T, in Scripture. Everything he does, he wants a harvest. Everything. I don't care if he saves your little net farm. Oh, God, he wants a harvest, and God is getting a harvest out of everything. And I'm going to tell you something else. He'll get a harvest out of your disobedience as well as your obedience. He will get a harvest out of it. He'll sit there and bless everybody that you preach. They, you lay hands, he's going to make everybody heal and watch you be tied to tombs. And people will come to you, and you will tell you, you breathing, machine breathing for you. You can put your hand on they still won't get healed. Because he's now using his dispensation. This is the mind of Christ. I'm putting together classes on the wisdom of God. We're going to have wisdom classes. We're talking about the mind of Christ and the mind of God's offspring, the mind of the elect. Because the elect are not the same as the religious. See, Christianity, that's one thing. The elect, they have a different attitude because God lets them know early and don't play with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're talking about people who had to lose their whole family. God said, like he said to Moses, keep your garments on. Don't you even cry. Don't you shed a tear. You don't know that's in the Bible, and yet you are living contrary to this man that you love so dearly. 
and you don't know why he's not properly reciprocating your love and affection. Because God can't change. He said, once my word leaves my mouth, it can't change. It must go and do what I please. So you have all of these saints sitting up in these churches wondering why God won't hear their prayer. First of all, you're in a church that's not an open portal. You need to get up out of there. That's like being in, being in the rural area with no for cell phone service. People calling you. They calling you. They texting. You got emails and carrying on. And you know what? You don't, your, your device is ready. It's programmed, structured. But guess what? No open hands. No communications coming through. We all had that sitting out there, you know, you got climbed up on mountains trying to get a piece of bar. Okay? A lot of you all are in churches that are just like that. I like the fact that cell, the cells of God's divine communications are not in the house. You know, cell started out as meaning little room for a priest. That's not a Catholic Jew. Cell. Cell. It didn't start out being a, uh, what do you call it, uh, what do you call it with the electronics. It didn't start out being fiber optics or technical. It did not. But that same concept was condensed into a device in your hand. And it doesn't make a difference how much you pay for your cell service. It doesn't make a difference how sophisticated, advanced, and current your device is in that little area, in that rural area. The grass is beautiful. You love the sunrise. You love the sunset. The mountains are great. Aren't they really wonderful mountains? It's wonderful. They even have some nice little huts, little food stands, little bathroom chats. But guess what? You can't get a call through. Uh, Come on. You can't get a call through. That's what it is to be in a church that doesn't believe in the prophetic. That's exactly what it is. Jesus is talking, and and your leaders are editing. That's what it is. Jack is, I used to say that and say, oh, God, I mean, where can I prove that? He said, the fact that I'm a, I came as a prophet and they don't believe in prophets of prophecy, I came according to prophecy. The very church is a prophecy, and they tell you they don't believe in it? He said, no, you're on good ground. Mm. Well, I don't want to be in a prophetic church because all they do is prophesy. You need to pick a good one. Just like you pick a good restaurant. You pick a good neighborhood. Pick a good church. But you should be someplace where God is free to speak. Not just not just sermonically, uh, not just corporately, but even individually. Because when you leave that congregation, you're still a cell. And so as a cell, he still should be able to speak to you based on you being a part of the cluster or conglomerate of that church, which is an organ. Does anybody hear what I'm saying? Your church is an organ. I don't mean the pipe organ that you love. God, I love a pipe organ. I promise you I miss it. I'm telling you. But I don't mean that. Your church is a literal organ in the body of the Messiah. And all of you all who are in that organ are part of the cell of that organ. So you all share that thing. And while you're there, God conforms and, 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 and shapes so that there is compatibility, but he also sees to it 
connectors, that vascular system, all the connectors go with you. So you go home, and the same thing that's on that organ is in your house. That is why he said to her, Man, I don't know what I want to say. Come on, man. All of it. Something. I don't. I need something. We're a cowbell. <laughs> I knew I had one more piece. <laughs> I knew I had one more piece that I could get. Ooh, why does the cowbell cowbell say Easter? <laughs> Come on, somebody. <laughs> but think about it. What does he say? I know. So this woman in John's mind is an organ. Her as an organ, organic, remember? Her as an organ and the sister. And at one time, um, they took it out because one of my older fathers said, you're a next sister in Babylon. So, so we have the organ and then we have what? What is the, what is the whole thing? The system. So the system is part of that particular organ that John's apostleship breathes. And so what does he say? When your leader brings all of those people in that don't like, look at this, the man said it. I just was reading what he said. Are y'all following me out there? Are they following me? Oh my, yes. So listen to what happens. So when your pastor brought the magician in, I'm getting it. If there comes any unto you that bring not this doctrine, receive them not into your house, neither bid them God speak. He said, Don't bless them. Don't bless them. And I, I, I can go on to tell you in all of this. If they don't bring what doctrine? The apostles' doctrine. So when your pastor brought in the little raunchy singers and the little nasty this and that, God judged the whole congregation for his or her decision. And he allowed the insemination, the infiltration, the infection from the spiritual infection to inseminate itself in that body, which is why once, the, once you break the seal, just like you break the seal on an organ, once you break the seal, if anything can come in. And once anything gets in, even if that seal closes back up, the breeding has already begun. Yep. And so you, re- you go from infection to infestation. Yep. So God says, but um, don't, let him, don't welcome him into your house. He right here, this word, we look at, we look at this because, you know, When we look at the word house, it is not just the um, it is not just the uh, structure. And he's saying, do not it's a word, a strong G thirty six twenty four oikos. Do you know oikos is also part of the beginning of the word economy and ecology? Okay, so he he's saying, don't let them preach. Why? Just they didn't have buildings back then. They didn't have edifices. Empty churches were houses. I started my church in a house. So quickly got it out. <laughs> All right. So he's saying, because back then all kinds of people were roaming the Christian circles, trying to bring the word. A lot of, a lot of them were godly people. 
good leaders and great teachers and prophets. John were, I think John's uh, epistles are so profound because he deals with those kinds of things so poignantly. And so what happened is somebody comes in and he's saying people were coming in to bring contrary doctrine to Jesus Christ. Why? Contradicting the apostles, contradicting the cross, trying to stop the spread of Christianity. That's what it was all about. And so he said, don't let them in your house. Because when you let these people in your church, you just like letting them, if you're an organ, what you let in that organ spreads to everything and begins to breathe and begins to reproduce. So you're like, well, you know, I mean, everything doesn't have to be Jesus. I don't know why all creation is. By default, everything is Jesus. The saved, the unsaved, the atheist, and the devout, they're all Christians. I mean, and, and they're all Christ because God gave everything into his hands. He calls the shot. He's just not going against the law of sin and death that is already in people. It's not the law on paper or the law on books. It's in people because all of this is biogenetic, pneumogenetic, somogenetic. See, it's all of that. So as you 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 sitting there as leaders, well, I mean, but the kids the kids want to have Halloween, and the church, then you have given yourself your whole organ belongs to the God of Halloween. All of your organ belongs to Cupid. See, because the spirit realm is smart, because they are well, they are ancient. They're ancient. They're rather smart. So they know how God's creation works. They know how insemination works. They know how to penetrate an organ to infect it and then infest it. They know that. Half of you are probably sitting home now after this whole quarantine, and y'all are like, you know, this is kind of nice. And you start feeling clean. You can hear God clearer again. You can why? Because your cell has been pulled out of that organ. Now you have to find where God wants to put that cell. Come on, Apostle. I know you thought I forgot you, but I did. And so he's saying, and I like this. He said because you know we've been talking, but just bless them. Inclusion. If we came here to uh, Tulsa, and everybody was like, "Well, we we don't want to go against the man of God." What God? The man clearly changes God. Now he got pictures on his life telling you he changed his God. He and his wife standing in front of Buddha, praying. He changed his God. And so we supposed to bless him? No, uh-uh, we don't bless that. We don't bless it. He said, don't bid him God speed. I just love that. You know, because in, in, in their way, I, I really appreciate God for that. In their way, they're saying, don't cheer him up. That's what he said. Don't make them happy. Don't tell them to be well off. Don't salute them. Don't even say farewell. Don't be glad for them. Don't even hail them or rejoice in them. But that's real different from what we've been taught. Because, and because, because you've been taught Satan is so cool, he's so smart, I learned something, Fox. I know you didn't think I could learn some stuff, but I'm But let me tell you. This is a, this thing is so good. I just appreciate God. 
because I said to somebody recently, I said, how ready are we to be Bible apostles? I don't think we're really ready. So John is saying words have power. And Jesus says in John 6.63 that the words that he speaks are spirit and life. So your words are spirit that go out and produce life. So now you're blessing somebody who hates Jesus. So what happens? The spirit that seduced them is enlivened by your blessing. Not to mention the fact that you can't call sin sin. You can't call error error. You can't call heresy heresy because in your mind, the vessel's well-being is more important than the vessel that's destroyed. Because that's how Satan taught us. Didn't he teach us? No, but you just, no matter what, you just bless him and let the Lord take care of him. Let me tell you something. For God to take care of stuff could be decades. That's why he has offices and officers, institutions, and organizations to expedite his judgment, to expedite his, not only his disapproval, but his blessing. So I'm sitting here, we're going through certain things, and this has been happening to me for the last, I don't know, 25, 30 years. And so God finally says, he said, did you realize that I put apostles and and prophets and fivefold in their position to restrain sin? To restrain sinful acts and behaviors and to remove vessels that are present themselves as instruments of ungodliness and unrighteousness. Our job is to remove you. Just like any other organization. That's our that's why we're in position. But see, we've been taught yeah, but you know, I mean, I mean, where's the love? Where's I said, where's the loyalty to Christ? You don't love Jesus. You're disloyal to Jesus. Our job is to take care of those who are loyal to Him, and to remove out of His precincts, out of His sanctuary, those that are not. That's Bible. So God gives me a class. This is my apostles' class. I got a few minutes. Are you all listening? Do you all want me to give you the apostles' class? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. you? Did they say so? Yeah, they were. <laughs> <laughs> this is my apostles' class. He said, Paula, did I not release? Did I not say to the twelve, whosoever sends you, retain their keep their cash, and whosoever sends remitted, they remitted, remitted, remitted. Remitted means sent away, like the scapegoat sent into the wilderness to the dry places. He said, "Did I not say that?" And she didn't preach. <laughs> he said, "I told you." He said, "Did I not authorize Peter to say to Ananias, why did you let Satan put it in your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost?'" Did I not have that? Peter, my apostle. Did I not have the apostle Paul said, turn such a one over to the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus? So you can't have apostles, government, judiciousness, and no sentence or penalty. You can't have any officers like that. He said, did I not talk to them about um, interaction with Janus and Jambri, who were a type of the magicians that pushed back on Moses. 
He said that in Timothy. When you read, you read your Bible. Did I not Paul, have Paul tell Alexander and Hymenaeus? What did he say? He said, I turned them over to Satan that they learned not to blaspheme. Did anybody hear that? Did I not say, mark a divisive one? Mark those who are walking unruly. Mark the medicine. What is that? Well, we are so, because you got this humanist doctrine, I don't touch yours, you don't touch mine. He said, my people have to know who to be afraid of, just like a child needs to know who a pedophile is. We got pervertifiers. So I need to make you Oh, go ahead, honey. Look at that, she's up. This one of them? <laughs> no, because you won't put it there. Well, I know her. We have perverted files in the Bible. People who love to pervert the pure, the holy, the saint, and it's our job. It is my duty not to protect sin. God, through Genesis to Revelation, has had a curse on those who protect the sin. And expose, literally expose the holy and sanctified. That's Bible. Psalm 82. Our church is built on Psalm 82. How long will you pervert the cause of justice? Ezekiel 13. How long will you keep the souls of the wicked alive and cause the souls of my people to die? We have to invert this thing because we are inverted to Satan's advantage. Oh, yeah. So then I'm hard. I'm harsh because I'm diligent and faithful. Meanwhile, the person who's soft and tender is celebrated because they're practicing their version of perverted feelings. We have got to get the perverted affiliates out of our church, out of our people. We've got to protect people who come to God, God believe in their faith, and then we've got all of these other folks that are working with those who want to d- destroy them. <laughs> they have a fit. Brother, you need the Holy Ghost CPR <laughs> to bring you back from flatlining on this revolution. Oh, we got perverted files in the body of Christ. They pervert you, they pervert Christ, and we got perverted failure. That's my word. I wrote a dictionary. I can form words. Don't mess with me. I can do this. Watch me. That's what the problem is. We're covering and we're protecting and we're promoting the perverted files. And we're exposing God's family, his children, his innocence. Believe in God to sin. To seduction, to corruption, to abuse. So now you got a name for all of those folks you know to call pervertified. Quote of the moment, Ashley Berry, baby, I thought I was saved until she came to the car again. <laughs> but he says it. Did he not say it? He said, don't welcome them in your house. And you all got churches. You're selling the stuff. You're making them money. You're lost, aren't you? I've lost. <laughs> he said, you know, there's a little bit of faith. Holy comments. Hallelujah. 
and see you all have been molested by perverted folks. Y'all molested. That is why you can't, and you have fallen in love with your molesters. Because that's all you've had. A Stockholm syndrome for the perverted folks. And, and that's what we are right now. You listen to, look at Facebook. Everybody is protecting the perverted files. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And the true Jesus is like, um, well, no. I mean, him, we don't know. We don't deal with him. No. Yeah, but we do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We deal with him. And I'm going to continue calling them. They are perverted files. They are in love with perverting the people of God. That's pervertophilia. They want to pervert the people of God. And the Bible talks over and over and over again about it. Y'all going to love me for this. Y'all better give me a good scene because y'all know good and well. I'm going to need a good scene. I was like, mm-hmm. y'all molested. You are attracted. You're addicted. You know, a kid that is sexually awakened too early becomes addicted to sex. The feeling, the good feeling. You all are literally addicted to perverted feelings. You won't, you, can, you cannot appreciate religion, you can't appreciate church, you do, it's not unless it is perverted. Because, and the reason it works on you because you refuse to be converted. Oh, Lord. Lord. Anyway, you got three minutes. Get money. <laughs> this right here is a game changer show. This is a game changer. I tell you, they're all good. And they are all good, but there are those ones that you strike the core of the problem. And using, <laughs> even what Kevin said before about your shock, yes. shock treatment. Yeah, I know you do shock theology, but, but even, even beyond shock. that, just shock. <laughs> the truth is shocking because we are so anesthetized, anesthetized, anesthetized by the common conversation, it has a cadence, it has a tone, it has a rhythm, it has a flow. Even if you don't, don't agree with it, even if you don't agree with it, mm-hmm. it's still, yeah, pedophiles definitely do. They have a and they have a walk, they have a look, they have a whatever. And I told my friends years ago, because I look a lot younger than I am, and so I, when we would be out, especially on trips or in hotels or in stores, I'd be followed around by guys all the time, older men, who thought I was a little girl. And the man came up to Dr. Pratt. Well, she actually went up to him and was like, what are you doing? Well, because he was following her and he did not, she didn't know I was behind, uh, behind her. And he tried to pick her up like she's 12. Well, she was dressed 12. She had a little ponytail, little sneakers, yeah. you know, running pants. Yeah. She didn't help yeah. the matter at all. Yeah. Well, and I was, <laughs> I was probably... 23 years old, maybe 23, maybe maybe 25, and he asked you, well, what did he ask you? He said, can I take your daughter out? And it was, it was clear. Now, we knew I was an adult, but he thought I was a kid. Baby, I'm a black mama on him. I'm going to tell you right now. Are you her mother? He said, are you her mother? Are you her mother? And can I take her out? I said, I thought to myself, you're not even asking to take me out. You're going to take her out. I went black. I was so mad with that man. I thought, oh, I didn't know what to do. And he's standing there all green, all his little lizard belts are all over. Because you know what? When those lizards are on, they have a green too. 
That's that's one of the looks of perversion. You have to, that's a whole discernment thing when you get the discernment class. Okay? But she's right. Yeah, and so they do. And they have, and I learned at an early age to recognize pedophiles and perverts because they would just follow me around. And still here because you were a kid too. And, it's, and, and so this, even this whole doctrine has a whole cadence to it. So having words like pervertophiles, that just shatters the humdrum of the norm. Frequency. Yeah, 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 this this was a frequency changer. (laughs) This was an EMP. Oh, oh, shocked. And it it did. Shocking people are like, oh, yeah, this this is being added to my lexicon. Somebody said, I'm adding this to it. But it it rings true. Mm -hmm. It's like, yes, that's it. That's the word. And because we know what file is, we know what pedophile is, and we know what pervert is, and bunny nose together, it's like, oh, yeah, this is a problem. But pastors don't recognize pedophiles in the church or pervertophiles. So the pervertophile preys on the pastor who's trying to show the love of Christ. Yeah. Ah. So the file, or fillet, whatever you want, but that's the love piece. So the pastor makes him or herself vulnerable to the perversion because they're trying to show the love of Christ. So you end up being vulnerable and ultimately subject to the perverted problem. That's so true because the pressure. The pressure to show love. The pressure to show love and to not confront because being confrontational is not the love of Christ and addressing issues frontally, that's not the love of Christ and we just don't want to run people out of the church because it's the love of, love of Christ. So, Let's love God right now, and let's take an offering. Let's do a love offering. Okay. I get a love offering. Well, I get a love offering, but I get the truth. For the love of the truth, it is time to sell. Information is on your screen. We want you to pass the plate. They were talking about pass the plate for an hour, so I know that's the truth. Pass the plate on this. I saw you see last week. I have to show another one today because the word is real. It doesn't matter what seat of leadership you sit in in an organization. You always need to be sowing into the person who is feeding you. Yeah. It doesn't matter what your paycheck is. It doesn't matter how many hours you volunteer. It doesn't matter how much sweat equity you put in. You need to put money behind this revelation because we all can get a natural benefit and payoff from this. That's, that's the word. That is the word. There is no caveat, no exception. It didn't say that, well, no, I mean, you, if you're doing this, then you don't have to. And if you're doing this, no. The principle is very plain. And so it's time to sow, time to give. If you're coming in on the middle of this, the end of this, go back. It's at least start in the middle. Go like after the uh, first 45 minutes is me, and then we get here. And this is the meat. This is the main course, the deal. It's at $95 steak. You're like, what? Yes, the tomahawk. See, this is a tomahawk. Anybody ever see a tomahawk steak? That thing take up the table. Because the tomahawk is somebody else's? 30? Yeah, it's something different. Huge, huge, huge steak. This is the tomahawk meat of the word. All right? So, and hey, you want to say what you want to say? Thank you for sewing. Thank you for encouraging me because you do. And thank you for believing in the Christ in me and my commitment to his truth. That's what I want to start off saying. And then I want to tell you, share, share, share. And she's already told you to sow. And some of you have been sowing so generously 
I appreciate it. But I want you to share this, too, because there are a lot of questions that are answered in today's broadcast. You want to listen to it again and again, extract the points that matter to you. And until we get together again on Sunday at the Congregation of the Mighty, where God stands, I want you to have a prosperous weekend. God bless you. And know that I love you enough to tell you the truth, to give you the truth as an option, and then to help you walk in God's truth. God bless you. No prisoners. No prisoners. I took none of that.